Hey everybody, welcome to the Midweek Podcast. This is Carl. This week we have an amazing discussion that ended up going long. And so what we're going to do is split it into two, have two episodes. So today, part one. Everybody, welcome to the podcast. Uh, this is Carl. Josh has decided not to come again. He's on a vacation. I suppose that's fine. But you know what? The, the good thing is, is, is we have uh, some great guests today. Uh, Terry, uh, who has actually joined us before, he told us an amazing story about how he um, was was in a, an abuse, spiritually abusive group um, and, and has the story of leaving. Uh, and, and so that was awesome. He's here again. Uh, and we also have Victory. Hello. Victory is Terry's sister-in-law. And uh, she she went through a very similar process, and they they kind of have a shared story, but a different story. And so they're both here to to kind of talk about um, what happened and how that impacts renewing of your mind, which is which is what Marvin talked about on Sunday. So Terry, do you mind just giving us kind of a quick update for those that haven't heard the podcast? Just a little bit what happened, and then we're going to hear from both of you guys about about this whole process. Yeah. So. Even as I was sitting there on Sunday and uh, the sermon on Sunday, really, yeah. If it, if anybody's listened to the the previous podcast or kind of has an idea of of the past history that I have or our family has or or the group that we came out of before and some of the things we've been involved in, then you'd know why uh, Sunday really resonated with me anyway. And I think. I think what I've what I've found over time, and I, I got into a few of the details last time, but basically, in a nutshell, is um, I believe that we that everyone acts out what they actually believe, hmm. and so no matter how you state what you believe or what you say or whatever uh, facade we put on on a Sunday when we we do our Christian thing, uh, what we act out from Monday through Saturday is what we actually believe. Hmm. Uh, I know for me, growing up. I did the whole go to the front at uh, Sunday school or or maybe more so even at camp and and give my life to Jesus. Mm-hmm. But I never really, you know, and I'd get told you should read your Bible, you should do all these things. And it's one thing, you know, we can tell our kids that, but are they going to? That's up to them. Right. And, and if it's really important to me, is it worth putting my time into knowing... If I'm going to follow God and I'm going to give my life to God uh, and follow Jesus, then I should probably know who Jesus actually is. Right. And it sounds pretty common sense. Everybody would say they know who Jesus is, but I would I would beg to differ a lot of the time. And I know for myself, uh, in my early 20s and probably most of my 20s until basically the last few years, I would say I read my Bible when I wasn't feeling good. I read my Bible to try and figure things out, but I didn't read my Bible with, sounds crazy, but I didn't read my Bible with Jesus in mind. Um, Okay. And I would read it proof texting, right? So if I wanted to, if I felt like I want some direction in my life, I would find a verse that would maybe fit with that somewhat. Or if I wanted to confirm my biases, then I would find what I needed to confirm those biases. Or... I read it very narcissistically. Hmm. Like, I read the Bible, and when I read a verse, I was thinking about me. How does this apply to me? Right. As opposed to from Genesis to Revelation, from beginning to end, is the story about Jesus, the story hmm. about humankind and how we fell and and God's pursuit of us and the lengths he went to uh, to overcome our sin for hmm. us. And when I read the Bible with that in mind, it changes my perspective. So to go backwards, um, Victory actually lived with us through her high school years. So Jackie and I went um, to 2002 to Lamb of God. That's when we started going as we were married already. Okay. Um, what year would that be when you were in grade 10? Um, oh, man. Uh, 2007. Yeah. So five years later, Jackie is nine years older than you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So my wife is nine years older than Victory. And again, I don't think anybody 
like ourselves included, we never had malicious intent. Like, sure, the goal was to follow God to the yeah. best of our ability. Yeah. And so we were in this place and we believed that that it was the greatest place on earth. It was an amazing place and it had changed our lives and God was really moving in power there and, and these sorts of things. And, and uh, victory pretty much from the moment that Jackie and I got married, victory would come hang out at our house because she was close with Jackie and friends with us and, and a lot younger. And she would come stay with us in the summer sometimes or, or, or those sorts of things. And, and then as she hit her teen years, she started, you know, she'd come with us. And then when she was at our house, she would come to meetings at Lamb of God, where we, where we went. And they were praise and worship off the start and different things. And, and as time went on, we really believed, like, we honestly believed that everybody should be there. That was the mindset, right? Right. Yeah. right. For right or for wrong. And, uh, and that God was moving in a special way there. And people had been open and confessed their sins and, like, lives were changing and we did see like the fruit in people yeah. their lives changing yeah. our marriage changed lots of good stuff but in in around that time um stan came and talked to jackie and i stan is the guy who runs that group and i still remember this i was at work i got a phone call from stan we conference called my wife jackie and 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 this is how things would work there it was this uh you know, Terry, how are you doing today? Good, good. You know, I was just driving around and I was thinking about, this is him talking, I was just driving around thinking about victory today hmm. and thinking about, you know, at that time she was in, uh, grew up in a Christian home and she, you know, grade 10, everything's going on that goes on with any grade 10s, right? Sure. Maybe the odd thing. And she'd shared with Jackie, well, everything's an open book. So Jackie had shared it openly at Lamb of God, the troubles with her little sister and her concerns and stuff. So get this phone call and and say, you know, I was just driving around thinking about Victory Day. What do you guys think? And so then Jackie and I both share, you know, how much we care about Victory and we see she's having a rough time and blah, blah, blah. And then it was, the, it was always this leading you to the answer, right? Mm -hmm. It was never, we were never forced to do things there. It wasn't like you were forced to do things. It was right. questioning and, and asking questions and then, the answer was just inevitable almost. So sure. it was it was like, well, what do you think about the idea of Victory moving in with you so she could come here more often? Oh, wow. And, and right now she's living with her parents. Sure. In Lloydminster at the time. And I'm a, you know, and I look back now and this, this, this is the crux of when we left Lamb of God, this exact conversation what I'm about to explain is the crux of why everything over the next year and a half happened. Okay. I thought back to this conversation and and I felt guilty about this whole whole thing and the way it went down and responsible. Mm -hmm. But we got asked, uh, do you think it would be a good place for her to be? Yes, of course. You know, do you think that, uh, have you seen fruit in your lives from being here? Yes, of course. You know, uh, do you think, would it be okay to have Victory live with you? Well, yeah, of course. We love having Victory around, right? Sure. All these things. And then, well, do you think, her parents would let her move away from home and live with you. Meh. You know what I mean? I don't right. think so. Well, what, what if, so this is the way it's presented to us on the phone. What if you were to say this? What if you were to, you know, <laughs> oh, wow. if, what if they realized the trouble that she was getting into? What if they realized the good fruit that's in your lives? What if you shared with them all that God has done for you here? What if, what if, what if? Fast forward to... So we had that conversation, one more conversation uh, where Stan called us a couple nights later and kind of went over some of the things. And then I called uh, Jackie and Victory's parents yeah. and had this conversation. And when I really believe something, I can sell it. That's <laughs> that's the way I'm wired, right? And sure. my dad's a yeah. salesman. and yeah. that's. But I have to really believe it. And sure. I really believed it. Yeah. Like I can't sell something I don't believe in, but or I can't talk to people about something I don't believe in but if I and I honestly did and and so I called them and I shared my heart I shared everything I had I, sh I talked with with Victory's parents and and sure enough they actually agreed and thought it was a good idea for her to move away from home and move into us wow. or move in with us sorry yeah and uh so we lived out in in Doddsland a few hours out of the city and she moved and started going to high school there and, and went to high school for grade 10 11 and 12 and um, I talked last time about some of the 
the craziness that started to happen, the, even the headbutting or my dad being kicked out, farmers sell their land, right? all these sorts of things. And all of a sudden we left in January 2016 and within a month and a half, Victory had lived with us up until grade 12 and then she moved into Saskatoon. Okay. And yeah, I'll maybe let you roll with it there and then mm-hmm. I'll get back in after we left, but. Yeah. Um, so when Terry talks about talking to my parents, just about moving in with them, I don't really even remember the timeline because I remember like I didn't know what was going on on the other end. Like I knew there were people praying at Lamb of God and and yet I had just made like very pretty tame, like just but bad decisions and ended up I... First of all, I cannot lie to people. I'm <laughs> okay. just a terrible liar. And and so I couldn't keep a secret from my parents. And so I ended up talking to them and telling them what I ended up doing, where I went, all these things. Sure. And and both like my dad like and my mom, they're like, obviously they don't want me going down that road, right? right and right. then I don't know when the conversation then happened with Terry and Stan and Jackie. Because I know I had that conversation with my parents. And then after that, too, on my end, that's when things started happening. And that's when they gave me permission to move in with Terry and Jackie. Okay. And and I was I was on board with all of it. Like, I, I, at that time, wanted to be going to Lamb of God. Again, I felt like that was the best place on earth to sure. be. So and you, you weren't necessarily happy with where things were going for no, you? No, okay. not at all. And because um, when I first started, like I would have been 12, I'd say, when I first went to Lamb of God okay. and like dipped my toes in. Sure. And then I was homeschooled for a while. So I would even bring my stuff to Terry and Jackie, stay with them for a week at a time. Oh, and then nice. okay. go to meetings at Lamb of God. And so I was... I was involved, but obviously not fully because I was still living at home. And, um, but because like, and Terry talked about him, what it was like for him growing up and even for, for myself. And it would be similar for my sister that we grew up in a very charismatic, like surrounding family, different things. We went and we did a lot of, like, we traveled around a lot, went to a lot of different conferences and, and my faith at that point was very, it was based on what my family believed and obviously had never been tested to the point of like, do I actually believe what, what I'm surrounded in? Or do I believe like personally what my my parents believe, right? Like I wasn't, was never really tested or challenged that way. And, but I do remember growing up feeling, feeling that need to perform and that Mm -hmm. need to do things and, and so coming to Lamb of God, which was, I believe, similar for a lot of people that at the beginning, it was so just, it was easy. Like uh-huh. it was just, we were told, like, if you, at this one praise and worship night, if you want to raise your hands, you can raise your hands. If you want to sit down, you can sit down. And there was no pressure at that time. Sure. There was, there was just, at that point, it was just me and my relationship with God. And that was so different than what I believed I had grew up in and not like, Obviously, my family, my parents did an amazing job, but it was, I was just at a point in my life where I felt like... Yeah, you got to figure stuff out yeah. for yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And so from there, obviously, I, I felt like I found something that, that I wanted. And and again, I was, say, I was 14 when I moved in with Terry and Jackie. And mm. so those are pretty important times yeah, <laughs> of no your kidding. life. No and, kidding. <clears throat> and so moved away from my yeah from my parents so them like from age yeah age 14 on they didn't Mm. have and I was their youngest so there's six of us kids and I was the baby and so again the fact that they let me move out we believed was a miracle but little did I know too that there was Stan in there prompting right asking these questions I was gonna say manipulating but maybe oh yeah oh for sure (laughs) yeah 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 um yeah and so ended up living yeah living with Terry and Jackie and then after high school I moved into Saskatoon and there and again Terry talked in the previous podcast about um just the group of women there a group of single women mm. believing that they were called by God to be single and so I ended up moving into a house with a group of girls there were at that time I think four of us and there were actually I think three different houses 
where a bunch of different girls lived. They were all single and, okay. and all going to Lamb of God. Like we all, we had our normal day jobs, but everyone who we lived with was a part of Lamb of God. It's sure. not like we had someone from the outside, so to speak, sure. as roommates. And so I moved into a house with a group of girls and then my life changed quite a bit from living with Terry and Jackie to moving into Saskatoon because more of my time was spent at Lamb of God. Like it would be majority of your weeks would be Monday to Friday. You'd be down at, they called it the ministry. So that would be at the building where Lamb of God was and you would be working on things, whether it be, because there was all volunteers who were there, right? Like, and so you'd be if there were financial things that needed to be done, you'd help take care of that. Or if there was cleaning around the building or so many, there were so many different things. And I remember Stan saying like, your lists will never be like, you'll never be done. Like you always be, uh, you always have these lists to do, but it was this. encouraging. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, like yeah. we were, um, and how did he put it? Like Stan referred to like keeping us busy as a way of keeping us out of the world, so to speak. And so he would say like, if these girls didn't have these things to do at Lamb of God, then they'd be out getting in trouble. They'd be out. Like Terry talked about one girl giving her phone number to a different guy, or if you were flirting with guys, things like that, you would, you would get in trouble for that. And so Stan would say like, this is keeping you out of the world, keeping you busy is keeping you away from all of that. And so we just, we believed that it was, it was of God, that this was, like, and it was all scripture based, but little did I know at the time, completely taken out of context. Sure. And so Monday to Friday, you would be there working. And then, and then we'd have meetings periodically throughout the week. And again, sometimes you'd have one meeting, sometimes you'd have three meetings. You never really knew. And as things progressed throughout the years, it became a little bit more, um, you were just left off kilter. Like you never really knew, oh, is there going to be a meeting tonight? Maybe there's not going to be a meeting tonight. And so your life was solely dependent on what was happening there. And so it was really hard to plan around that. Mm. And and then Saturdays as well, we would spend our entire day at Lamb of God. Wow. And, and that would be just working, doing things. And eventually someone who had purchased a piece of land outside of Saskatoon, there was a lot that went into it. Um, and Terry can talk more if he wants to later, but, um, we would go and there were horses that Stan had purchased because he believed God wanted him to buy these horses. And so we would go out there on a Saturday and basically just take care of things. And so there was one time where we would line fields and we would be filling like gopher holes or in this, or like in the summer, there were these things called like purple thistles. I don't know if you see them out on the side of the road, but they're all over the place. And we would go and cut them out of the ground like groups of us girls. And that would, (laughs) we would be kept busy doing things like that. But we were told that it's about your heart. He would always say, it's not about the work. It's about your heart. And so you'd be doing these things. And if you were like, annoyed with it or you don't want to go and do that again this saturday exactly yeah Yeah. (laughs) and so we would and so you'd feel guilty if you felt like if you were grumbling if you were complaining it's like oh my heart's in the wrong place Mm -hmm. and so then you would talk to your sponsor about it and then you would get your heart in the right place or they would (laughs) like talk about like well like or maybe you would want to go and do something that you'd see your coworkers doing or you'd want to go um like like it an was, orange, orange, the whole yeah. thing where you would say, what's inside of you? You're like, when you squeeze an orange, what do you get? You get mm-hmm. orange juice. Mm-hmm. And so when the situations that we would be put in all the time, which were stressful situations, which might be, might be getting to ask, like, like ask to walk all day in a field picking thistles. Sure. It was to show you your heart. So when you, the moment, like it was, you know, it was rigged, right? Mm-hmm. You, if you do it. You just mindlessly do it, and then you might still end up getting in trouble for doing something wrong. But if you if you complain or if you want to do something else, it's revealing in you that there's sin in your heart, and mm-hmm. and yeah, kind of a lose lose. It's your or win win lose lose, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, right? so, yeah. and the, yeah, and you're being squeezed, and then if you get yeah. angry, that's what's you know, yeah. you're full of anger. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So. yeah. Okay, so yeah, definitely are. So the the first time we heard a, a lot more of those kind of details. So definitely check that out. I'm curious though, if you, Victory, would want to talk about when things started to change for you. What, when did you, you know, when did you think things weren't right? And then what was it that finally convinced you that Mm -hmm. it was time to leave? Sure. Um, 
So after Terry and Jackie left, I was still like fully there. Hmm. Like Stan had prepared us for things like this to happen. So he would say, your families are going to come against you. They're not going to understand what you're doing. Right. Um, people are going to leave. And, and he, but he would put it in a way of like, are you going to leave? Like, are you going to give up and are you going to walk away? And so as soon as Terry and Jackie left, it's this view of they gave up, they walked away. Sure. They wanted the world, so to speak. And so for us, it just brings, for me, it brought me closer and tighter in there because I would have the thoughts of, well, I'm not going to give up. Like, I'm not going to give in to this. I want to stay here. And so at that time, Stan also brought me closer to, so there was a group of, was it six women Mm -hmm. who were, yeah, six who were like walked closer to Stan. And so they would be in more, yeah, his inner circle. So they would be in more meetings with him. They would know the ins and outs of what was going on around Lamb of God. Sure. And so I was brought into that and it, it plays on like your, it completely plays on your emotion, emotions. It plays on like, Oh, like I'm, I'm kind of important. I get to be a part of this little that I know he wanted to keep me close, especially to see how I was doing after Terry and Jackie left. Okay. And so, yeah, at that point, like even after they left, I, I didn't think anything different like i i felt almost i felt sad for terry and jackie i felt angry at them Mm -hmm. um when jackie called me and said that they were leaving i was ticked and and afraid for them because there was just so much fear put into you if you were to leave that what would happen to you or that things would go south and i just didn't understand why they would choose to do that and and so i know at one point there were a couple instances that i thought of and this was after i left but um, so Terry talked about um, Kate's birthday party after they left and how they had invited a lot of their friends to come to this birthday party. And so obviously I'm still there at that time. So sure. I can see the meetings that are taking place and I can see the conversations happening. And at one point we're going around the circle and stands like, what do you guys think? How do you feel about this? And with the, like, cause he had said the parents needed to be on the same page, whether they were going to go to that birthday party or not. Not one of them could decide to go and another one not go like they all had wow. to decide that okay <laughs> and so at one point though stan's like so how do you feel about this victory and i started crying and i just said well i'm just thinking about my nephew like i'm thinking no one's gonna come to his birthday party and i got in trouble for that like stan's like it's not about your nephew he's like stop crying like it's not about that he said it's about like us like staying in here together and us being on the same page and they decided uh-huh. to leave it's not about your nephew and so wow. And you never, even in that, like, you never knew if you're supposed to cry or not cry. Like, there are times you might cry, and he'd be like, stop crying. Like, right. and so at that point, like, you just, you go with it. And it doesn't feel right, but it's like, okay, don't cry. Like, man up and carry on. And, And there was another point where we would go to Stan's house, and he had this little area set up in his basement for, they would call it ministry purposes. And so you'd be down there and we'd sometimes we'd have meetings other times we'd have we just watch tv things like that okay. and um and we were looking through so we had a lot of pictures that we took uh, at lamb of god and we were looking through old pictures and there was one of me so i didn't color my hair no one there colored their hair for a period of time we did and then something happened and people stopped and and it specifically happened to me about one of the children there saying something about my hair and that it was just because i wanted attention and so I spoke that publicly to everyone. And because I viewed it as like, oh, that's God speaking through me, through a child. Like, I just want attention because I'm doing this. Little did I know her mom had said that to her at one point. Because okay. she asked that question about another lady at the grocery store. And her mom says she wants attention. And so that changed. So I wasn't coloring my hair, but we were going back in pictures. And at one point I had my hair colored where it was like partially brown, partially blonde. And Stan called it my skunk hair. He referred to it as, oh, that's Victory's skunk hair. Mm-hmm. And so we looking looking back at these pictures. And I remember at one point sitting there and he was referring to this or even of different people. And and I just sat there and I was like, okay, if, because I did believe at that point that it wasn't okay to color my hair. But I thought like, it says like, but it says love keeps no record of wrongs. Like why, right. why is this being brought up again? Like if that was something that was wrong, why am I continually being shown it and reminded of it, right? Like, and just thoughts like that, that I, I would just push aside though. And I would leave it and I'd be like, okay, nope, stop thinking about this. Or I'd 
speak it out to my sponsor to kind of get clarification and like kind of just push it aside and carry on. But, um, and there was no critical thinking, sure. like not yep. at all. Yep. And so that was kind of what happened before, like right after Terry and Jackie left. The one thing I wanted to say about that too, is there's, there's a thing like, yeah, I spent a lot of time learning since we left, obviously, and mm-hmm. just trying to figure out how all this happened and why we didn't think about certain things. And there, there is something called, uh, in groups like this or, or even, abusive relationships there's something called thought stopping Mm. and it's where you teach somebody thought stopping so in our instance uh every group is different the moonies had different things like jim jones had different things like every group has its own little variation but the key to it is basically you're at mind you're at war with your own thoughts so you teach someone that when a thought that's contrary to the group comes in it's actually you're at war with that thought you have to go to war against that thought um we're, we're in the Christian context here, so it's Satan. So mm-hmm. right. if Satan brings you a thought that is contrary to the group or about leaving or anything, that's Satan trying to take you out of here. Right. And and often there'll be visuals given in different groups, and they're all different. For us, Stan used to talk about a, like a he called it submarine door or screen door, yeah. and if the thought comes in one side, just open the door and let it out the other. And, and it was just these simple things. We always had these quick one-liners, right? These quick... Yeah. Mm-hmm one-liners to help us if you ever are in this situation here's a one-liner to go back to to whatever to keep you going so anyway so that's that's what from the moment we left and on our end it was so weird because jackie and victory were super close we were close as a family she was basically part of our family right. she went on well, vacations if, yeah. with us everything yeah and all of a sudden we leave and she's just not in our life at all it was like within two weeks we just don't see her anymore right and and it was bizarre world. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was such a weird thing. And then she, since she's come out and says things that were going on on the inside while we were on the outside, when she, when she eventually came out, it was just like was, every time she'd tell another story about what what was being said in there. Like for us, it's this birthday party. Why would they not come to a birthday party? But then you hear the other end. It's like, well, no, they all believe if they come to the birthday party, blah 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 blah. Right. right? And so. Anyway, there's just all these dynamics that were going on. No, it definitely yeah. definitely helps. Because again, for people that haven't experienced that, it's just like, how could, like, it doesn't make sense. How mm-hmm. could you not see that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it is that, it's that repetitive, reinforced mm-hmm. sort of approach. So again, um, what what was the moment? The moment yeah. that you, the moment that you thought, you know what, this isn't right. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I had thought we were going on a family vacation. This was in August of 2017 and I'll lead up to this. So, okay. So we had left January, 2016. Uh, I was a total mess for at least probably six months ish. Yeah. Three months for sure. Start talking to people. Um, yeah. One thing after another happens. And that's the crazy thing is like, uh, I often say to people that people ask like, what does God want me to do? Or what's God you know, what's God's purpose for the future, all these futuristic things, always wondering what God wants. And it's, it's like, for me, I think I don't realize what the heck he wants until I look backwards and see what he did already. Right. And that's what this is like. It's, it's, we left, we were a mess. I talked to a few people and, and before you know it, I I got a big mouth. So, um, and that's how I, (laughs) that's how I, uh, that's how I think. I think while I'm talking. I think while I'm I'm talking my way through stuff with people. So I started going for coffee with a few people that, that I knew from back in the day. And the more I talked, the more this all just poured out of me, all the stuff that had gone on for years. And the more I talked before you knew it, there would be... The other thing is, is uh, Stan took an interesting approach there on the inside that I, I didn't expect as he he kind of had people preemptively strike and I didn't really realize. And all of a sudden I'm getting phone calls out of the blue from people that are saying so-and-so at Lamb of God, like their daughter that was there, their cousin, their whatever, sure. called me just to warn me that a guy by the name of Terry might come talk to you, but you know, or Terry Brown might come talk to you at some point, which I had no, I had no intention, intention right. of that. Like that, my, my mindset at the time was just, I got to keep my family afloat mm-hmm. here. I got to stop from doing yeah. something terrible yeah. because I feel terrible and and just kind of suffering my way through and the the weird thing is that as people would call people 
and say that, then like in Lamb of God, if somebody says that to you, don't go talk to this person. You just don't do it. Yeah. Right. But the funny thing is, is like that mindset at Lamb of God isn't people's mindset in the real world. So when people would call somebody out of the blue and say, don't talk to Terry, what are they going to do? They're going to come talk. Like, right. So I'd have people calling me out of the blue saying, hey, I heard you left Lamb of God. Why? Or I heard whatever. So before you know it, you fast forward to like September of that that year and we're having all of a sudden we're meeting at people's houses and 20 some people are showing up and I'm talking to them about wow. Lamb of God and it's wow. people's family members that right. are in Lamb of God who've been concerned for years but didn't know what was going on in there. Right. And, and like unintentionally I'm just sharing my story and sharing what went on and crying most of the time and whatever and some of the things I've learned about what went on and 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 then there's other families in in there that wanted to get their their relatives out yeah. and and help them and this is the whole thing about the renewing of the mind what you believe the whole thing is nobody is going to leave Lamb of God or a place like that no matter how abusive you may think it is on the outside if they believe it's the right place to be, they're not leaving. You can't convince them otherwise. Yeah, right. And you'll see this all over the world. You see it with ISIS, like people who leave North America and join ISIS. You see it with every group under the sun. Yeah. And people will think, well, I'm just going to tell them not to do it. Well, it doesn't make sense because right. their entire belief system tells them that that's what they should do. And their entire belief system tells them that people are going to come against them right. and persecute them for their beliefs. So the more that you talk to them, the more it actually drives them inside. Yeah. And And explaining this to people on the outside became instead now we're meeting at people's houses and talking about this and when i'm talking to people i'm no longer as much sharing my story as saying stop doing what you're doing you're making it worse right because the more family members would hear details they'd go to people inside and they would say i heard this happened in there blah 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 blah. get out well right. all that would do is drive them in mm -hmm. right and then you got i hear later which exactly what i thought was happening was happening and they're having meetings on the inside saying, everybody's coming after you, this is going on, blah, blah, blah. And it was driving people in. So anyway, I'm at a school reunion in Karenport in September that year. And I get this phone call from a guy in in Alberta. And he's a professor of sociolo sociology at the U of A. And he studies, he studied Scientology and, and a bunch of stuff like this for years. And uh, that Leah Romini show, um, what is the Leah Romini show? About Scientology, mm -hmm. though. Um, I think it's called or Scientology in the Aftermath. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Scientology in the Aftermath. Uh, this guy's been on that show. And mm -hmm. he calls me out of the blue. I answer the phone. And he just says, is this Terry Brown? I said, yeah. And he said he got his number from somebody. And he's like, I'd just like to hear your story about what went on. So I I talked to him about about what went on. And, and for whatever reason, this guy was super, super good to me. And over the next course of a month or two, he would have phone calls with me all the time and, oh, wow. and kind of helping me process what had happened and, and understand how groups like this work and, and understand mindsets and group think. And, and so for whatever reason, I'm getting to learn about that. And, and then I go back to that conversation when, so as I started to get healthy, as I started to my head kind of the fog lifted or whatever i still have family members in there i've got one brother and his wife and four kids are still in there my sister's still in there my one brother has left in the last year and a half or whatever um but at that time he's still in there my parents are still in there hmm. and so i have them on my mind yes but who's really on my mind that whole time is victory because we got i felt responsible sure right yeah and and so in my head, I'm talking to this guy from the U of A and, um, and, and I said like the situation and he's like, I don't really do this. And he's like, it sounds like you need an intervention to help him out. But I know a guy that, that does do this. And he's been to uh, conferences around the world about cults and different things like that. And he's met lots of people and he said, I can maybe get a hold of him. I don't know where he lives anymore, somewhere in the States. I said, sure, that'd be great. So he tracks this guy down and uh, David is his name. I won't say his last name because he, he still does interventions all over and, and uh, he doesn't need to be bad mouthed sure. <laughs> in advance to help people out. Yeah. So uh, anyway, this guy calls me out of the blue and says, hey, I heard from uh, Stephen or whatever that, that you might need some help. And, and so we start talking to him. 
And then before you know it, in the fall, we have uh, Stephen from the U of A and David on phone calls with and all the a bunch of family members. We started a text group and all this stuff. A bunch of family members were meeting at the house, and we had a conference call with these two guys to help teach family members of how you deal with people on the inside and how the things that you do that are going to make it worse and the things you're going to do that are going to play into the leader's hands to to help him keep control of everybody and and anyway teaching these family members of how to help their family members out and what to do and uh, that was in the fall of 2016 and so then we decided to fly him up and we we're going to see if any family members wanted to do an intervention and and he has a consulting fee just like anybody. Uh, right. There's people out there like Stephen Hassan who wrote the book Freedom from Mind Control. He does this stuff. This David does stuff like this. There's a few other interventionists that, mm-hmm. that do this type of work. So we flew him up in December of 2016. We had him come up here and he was going to meet with a bunch of family members and different families were going to decide if they want to do an intervention for for their family members on the inside and, and just try this thing and give it a go. And... Uh, and where our head was at was victory at the time was what 25 yes mm-hmm. 25 and it's it's like the the earlier if we the earlier we can help her out of there the younger she'll be the quicker she'll have a chance to heal and the more of her life she'll be able to live and yeah and uh time was sort of of the essence and and uh anyway so we have him booked to come up it's just before christmas in 2016 and all of a sudden the week before that i don't know maybe someday we can get her on too but leah Hildebrandt uh, was in, in there and all of a sudden out of nowhere she calls Jackie up one day my wife and just says and it's so weird our mindsets at that time are so conspiratorial like even us on the inside there's always because I got you know I got family members coming to my door telling me I'm going to hell I got this stuff is going on my kids are hearing it on the way to school I people who are like my best friends I see them places and they turn their back to me um, wow. I got a buddy that's still in there that was really close. I was a sponsor and anytime I see him, even he'll be in my cul-de-sac in Delisle visiting my brother and he will not look at me, like will not look at me. And wow. these are people I shared my life with. And so all of a sudden Leah calls up Jackie and says, I'd like to meet you for coffee, but she wants to meet her in a place where nobody will see them. And that's, okay. that's the way everybody's mindsets are. They couldn't know that you're meeting with Jackie and Terry because... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in this time, by hook or by crook, I had, along these lines, I had, <laughs> I don't know, anyway, I had got access to their, their conference call. their conference call systems at Lamb of God, and I actually hacked into a few <laughs> meetings. He got the passwords, the, he didn't hack the password in, sure. but whatever, I got the password in, and listened to meetings to find out what was going on, and mm-hmm and recorded some of that and like even in meetings i'm hearing stan say terry this and terry that like and i it's just such a bizarro thing going on so when somebody calls jackie up out of nowhere her first thought to me is like is this she calls me and she's like do you think it's a setup hmm. like do you think leah actually left and that's where our heads were at right yeah and so for sure. her head so she meets at a coffee shop on the east side of saskatoon literally wants to sit in the very back corner so nobody can see them meet with jackie won't go anywhere near me because I'm I've been taken over by Satan, and they meet for coffee and and then uh, eventually Jackie talks to her and says like he's actually not the devil like whatever <laughs> and we go to her house on that Saturday and and meet with her for like seven hours from wow. like seven at night until whatever two yeah. three in the morning. And she starts to unload all the stuff that has gone on since we left Lamb of God and all this stuff. And then we find out in victories in this. So we're already thinking intervention for victory, right? But then we asked Leah, like, why did you leave? What what went on? Because she was so dedicated and she had actually, her family goes to Elam. So mm. um, she had actually come to her sister's uh, baby dedication, I yeah. think it was. Yeah, I think for her, yeah, her niece's baby dedication yeah, so, at Elam. Uh, and she showed up one day and I'm at Elam in the, the atrium. atrium and all of a sudden I turn and Leah's just like right in my face. Yeah. I haven't seen her hardly. I haven't seen yeah. her. This is before she left. This yeah. is about a month before she left. And she's just like staring a hole right through me. And I'm like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> and 
And I find out from her later that she literally was staring at me because she's starting to have all these doubts and she's heard all these things about me and she's trying to literally see, like, is this guy taken over by Satan? Mm -hmm. She's trying to, like, the things that go on in your mind, it's just, your mind is being torn in two. It's, it's hard to describe when you're, when your foundation is crumbling, when you're on your way out of that place or any place like it, I think, when I've talked to people who've left other groups, Mm -hmm. it's this tearing you apart in the inside, this this mind being divided, this mm-hmm. this whole thing, like when you talk about the renewing of the mind, like it's the opposite of that. It's the tearing down before you can actually have the renewal. Right. And But the process is so painful and yeah. it's so awful. And yeah. that's what she was going through. And so you fast forward a month, we meet with her for seven hours and, and she just starts asking, okay, when you invited people to the birthday party, what were you thinking? I'm like, we're thinking about our kid, right? <laughs> like, birthday party. that's, you know, but she, right. and one thing after another, when you talk to this person, why did you talk to them? Because she'd heard about it on the inside. And I'd sure. say, why I talked to them. And she said, well, we heard this. I'm like, no, that wasn't my mindset at all. Right. And one thing after another, we do that for seven hours. And then, then she says, I, we said, well, why, why did you leave? And she says that she was part of this inner circle with victory yep. in Stan's basement. And they are down there in the summer. And should I, you just want to talk? You were there. Oh, yeah, so. yeah, sure. Um, so I, I came late actually, but um, so Leah was there at the beginning of this meeting in Stan's basement and I walk in and you never knew when you would go over to his house if it was going to be a really intense night. Right. Like if there. What mood is he in? Ex- well, exactly. <laughs> right? Or yeah. like if there was going to, because there, Terry talked about it in the other podcast there was a lot of public chastisement a lot and so you never knew what was happening and so we walked in and it was just you could feel that it was just intense is the word that we would use back then and so you walk in we sit down um stan would like turn his couch that everyone's facing him you're having this meeting and there is a girl getting reamed out and just like yelled at and like the most foul words like if you can think of something for, for anyone, but specifically for a man to say to a woman, any of like the worst words in the, the book. Word. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. And the whore and a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like wow. and, yeah, every name in the book. And what did and she do to deserve that? So she was, um, she works at a place here in Saskatoon and was getting gifts from a client as thank you gifts. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like basically saying thank you for doing what you're doing. Right. And she, didn't tell her sponsor and so stan said you betrayed her trust you're not like keeping her in the loop on these things like so ridiculous now when you look at it but then you know like you're sitting in there and stan just he twists it in a way of like you're keeping secrets and you're like this man wanted to groom you and wine and dine you and then makes this like client look like an awful person (laughs) and um wow and like completely like makes her feel like her heart's in the wrong place that you want these different things and you're not talking to your sponsor about it and calls her all of these different names and and because you're so immersed in it and we believed that stan was a prophet we believed he was hearing from god and it was this belief and even the girl listen taking it would believe that the lord was coming after something in her heart and he would say things like it may not even be the words I say. Maybe I'm off on the details. And he would say, it's not about the details. It's like, maybe I'm off on these, but God knows what's in your heart. And wow. he's coming. And so you couldn't be like, well, no, that information's wrong that you're saying. It'd be like, doesn't matter if you're wrong. God's coming after something in my heart. Right. And she so just completely twisted back onto you. Yeah. And um, he put his hands on her too. Yes. Yeah. And wow. I wasn't there at that point, but um, Leah saw it, that she was pushed. And wow. um, yeah. And so then yeah so so leah was part of this whole experience and and by this time like we've been there since 2002 everybody's been there 13 to 15 years so you've seen a lot of things you've seen a lot of people get yelled at you've seen people get kicked out you get seen people get a cab called for them and kicked out and sent away you've seen you name it but to this point she had not seen anything like this and and that she just had no place to put it and and it really started some, and then not only that, but Stan sits them all down and turns on a documentary that he had seen about O.J. Simpson and Nicole Brown. Okay. And, okay. And, yeah. <laughs> and so it had come out in magazines in the magazines it had pictures of Nicole Brown with her th- throat slit, but it was blacked out. But he puts on this video, he makes them all sit down, mm-hmm. all these girls. And when you talk about these girls, I'm talking about 
the youngest girls would be in their teens. Yeah. Right? And yeah. the oldest would be like 28-ish. Yeah, late, late 20s. And these girls have, you know, they've given their lives to God. They are very holy young women. They are very... They would never watch bad movies. They very would never... Innocent. Yeah, super yeah. innocent. And he puts sure. this video on. And because the whole thing is he's saying that that this girl that got pushed and yelled at was basically hiding it because she's wanting to have some sexual whatever, like there's something going on, right? Mm -hmm. And she denies it when she denies it. And she said, honestly, no, like Stan, no, I'm not. That's not what's going through my mind. That's not what's going through his mind. Right. And that's when he snaps and pushes her. And, wow. and so you have this go on and then they sit him down in the living room and he puts this, this documentary on. He goes through and he pauses it at the scene where it shows Nicole Brown with her throat slit open without it being blacked out. He pauses it on that screen. All the girls, of course, because it's gory, put their heads down. And he says, look at it. Put your heads up. Look at it. And he's screaming at them. Look at it. He makes them look at it. And he said, you want a relationship out there in the world? That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. That's what's waiting for you out there in the world. And he's screaming at them like, and this isn't odd that he would scream or chastise or anything like that but it was the extreme right it yeah. was the point that leah had taken so much and then at that point she's like i got no place to put mm -hmm. this one yeah and and that wasn't odd for him to show videos like that like he would show things on a regular basis like the first 48 different like intense crime dramas and would basically he skewed our view of relationships in in the in world, the world yeah. so to speak and yeah. so that would make you more so be like oh i'm so grateful that i'm staying single that i'm not that i don't have that challenge so right. just to... yeah and this happened this would have happened in like august of that year and then it took leah the next few months and to her credit she openly ex expressed in the group that she was having troubles with this she openly expressed that which is so gutsy mm -hmm. like if you know the group Almost thing dangerous. you don't oh, yeah. you don't do that <laughs> yeah, when you're there sure. like even when we left yeah. i had four kids and stuff to think about so it was a little bit different but it was just like a total sneak attack nobody yeah. knew it was coming all of a sudden one day we're just gone yeah but leah she expresses these things to her credit she says these things and she's she's being sent to different people my mom was one of them to explain away what has happened to try and talk to her to help her stay in the group uh things were said to her to her this is actually something that was said to her which is, sounds crazy now, but it was said, um, isn't it amazing that God trusts you enough to have you in that group to see something like that, to be in that small inner circle that God trusts you enough to see something like that and st because he knows you still wouldn't leave, something along those lines. Mm -hmm. And it was twisting it like that. This yeah. goes on. And eventually she even says to Stan, Stan calls her up one time and says, hey there, buddy. You know, how you doing? I hear you're having trouble, blah, blah, blah. Super nice. All this stuff like that. And Leah says, I'm trying. Like, I'm trying to work my way through this, but I just can't rationalize all that went on or whatever. And Stan's super jubilant. And, you know, he's he's a, he's a really nice guy when he needs to be, For right? sure. And, yeah, that's what he, needed, -loving, yeah. what he needed to be at that time, right? Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden she's like, but I still can't, I still can't deal with it. And he just flips a switch and he's like... Uh, I should have done even worse to her is what I should have done. I should have... Sorry, what? Yeah, I... I should have... I should have shooken her... I, oh, I yeah. forget exactly. And but. just all of a sudden snaps like... And the way that Leah took it that mm -hmm. time is basically shut up wow. or you're going to get, you know. get it. Get it too. Yeah. So anyway, so this is a month later. We're meeting. We hear all this stuff. And then at this point, I'm like... Now I'm like, we need to get her out. Yeah. Like this is getting crazy. I never expected... I never saw any woman ever have anybody lay their hands on them when I was there. I never saw anything to this. Like it's increasing, it's getting worse. Yeah. And so we flew David up, he met with all the families and basically out of it, we decided that there was only one family at that point that was willing to take the risk to, because if you do an intervention and it doesn't work, you will literally never talk to your mm -hmm. family member again. Right. If we did an intervention, we basically can say bye to Vic because she's mm -hmm. never going to talk to us again. Yeah. If it didn't work. Yeah. So we start in December that year and and we just start with little baby steps like we're going to just try and get a trip planned that she'll actually come on because nobody in the group will ever go on a trip more than three days because you got to be back for a meeting. Uh, it's not safe. Like you've got to run these things by standing or sponsor or whatever. So yeah. you can't bank on having somebody for an extended period of time. So... 
This involved all sorts of little things, and of course, Vic doesn't know any of this is going on in the meantime. But now you're, you got everybody in her family's reading books about this stuff, reading Stephen Hassan, like uh, combating cult mind control, and and reading some of the literature about how you deal with people in a situation like this, and how you, you know, how you change someone's mind basically, right. and unwind a whole bunch of teaching. And so it took a while. We tried to go on a trip in the spring. We got the usual. Like and it's the once you're on the when you've been on the inside and then you the outside and you watch it it is just it's almost mind blowing because sure. you think surely they know what that I know what you're doing yeah. like because nobody will ever agree to anything so Stan would say let your yes be yes and your no be no so basically don't say yes to something unless you know you're going to commit to it so okay. you always are wishy washy sure. so for example you might get yourself in trouble if you go on a trip with your family. They might influence you in a worldly way and take you down a path you don't want to go down. So don't commit to that. Always kind of have a backup plan so you can leave at any moment. Don't vacation farther than a couple hours from Saskatoon so you can right. leave in a moment's notice to go back if things get right. whatever. Which is interesting because it almost seems that's the actually the opposite of the yes be yes and your no be no. Uh, the whole idea is just to say yes or no <laughs> right. and, and right. not not use it as an excuse to get in and out of things. Okay. So, um, so, def so this all has been set, the intervention. And then we finally get it set for the summer. Okay. So we try for the spring, doesn't happen. Basically, um, get the idea from David to let Victory plan the trip so that she feels more comfortable. That makes sense. Yeah. And whatever. So then they actually throw that out, like ideas for her. Um, Victory throws out ideas that are all within two hours of Saskatoon. Go figure. And, Exciting. Yeah. And we pretty much try to kibosh all that stuff, eventually get it planned for the mountains, and we're going to stay at Cochrane, Alberta. Perfect. And we get Beautiful. a hotel booked, and we have all Jackie siblings minus one, or, or Jackie and Victory siblings minus one. We get it all planned. We fly David up from the States. Uh, he's waiting there in the wings in a room downstairs. Um, we kind of come up with a whole plan the night before. Yeah. Uh, try and get everybody ready. David prepared us with videos and all these things and basically preparing, saying, you're not dealing with the person, you're dealing with the cult identity. Exactly. Basically. To try and protect everybody because it was well known that Victory would go for the jugular. If she needed sure. to, anybody in that situation would go for the jugular and, and it was preparing everybody and, and as prepared as everybody hoped that they were, they were not prepared. All right. We're going to kind of end things there for this week. Lots of good stuff to process, but lots more to come. So make sure to stay tuned for our next episode where we'll continue this discussion with Terry and Victory.